If you want to know what it's like to have a fourth, just imagine you're drowning, and then someone hands you a baby. I like you just the way you are. You're braver than you believe, and stronger than you seem, and smarter than you think. Parenting is a sacrifice, it's exhausting, it's expensive, at times it feels thankless, but eventually you die. Welcome to the Kid Doc Good Job Being the Mom podcast, the podcast dedicated to helping mothers and fathers through supporting, enabling, and empowering them in their amazing role as parents. Well, welcome to the next phase of our podcast as we move into focusing on specific concerns parents have. I have been super eager to move into talking about some of these topics, specifically mental health concerns, which have been so prevalent over the past three years. Absolutely. Before we start, Dad, what is your favorite restaurant? Well, I've got to say the Mandarin over in Bountiful is our favorite with Chinese food made by Greek owners and just the best (laughs) food on the planet. It's awesome. Yeah, the almond chicken's a classic. (laughs) How about you, Em? I think Davis County Focus, probably Aroy D, which is a Thai restaurant in Ogden, just off the freeway. Companions with the rent to own and the gas station. Mm. So it's tucked away, but <laughs> has yummy coconut soup and curries. It's it's super yummy. <laughs> you can't beat a, a ghetto restaurant for food for sure. Yeah, it's so true. It's so true. <laughs> cool. Well, today we will be talking about ADHD. So what is ADHD? I think my best summary for ADHD is this gap between the potential that a child has and their performance. So a child with high potential and then low performance is what we're seeing. What does that go, that gap look like to parents? I think it shows up in two ways. The thing that it brings a parent in is they have this smart child who may get missed for a while in diagnosis because they are getting good grades, they're working hard, they're being successful, but there's this huge excessive amount of time it takes where parents and kids are in tears trying to get homework done, and there's just so much effort that goes into getting things done that it's it's, it's totally burdensome and saying, this can't be right where this, mm-hmm. this child is so smart. And then the other thing is where oftentimes they're not doing very well in school and falling behind, and teachers help to find those kids and bring them up at a parent-teacher conference. But I think in both things, you're seeing the self-esteem issue start to arise where this kiddo is recognizing they're not performing as well as they know they could be. And they see other kids getting more stars or points with the classroom reward programs. And they start to really feel that that self-esteem and they get sad. Yeah. What are the specific elements of ADHD? So there are three things that really define ADHD, and that's attention, hyperactivity, and impulsivity concerns. What does inattention look like? It's kind of how it sounds, where they're not paying attention, they're not focusing, not able to stay on task because they're getting distracted way too much, and like the kind of squirrel type thing where people are just totally. seeing, you know, seeing shiny things and can't pay attention. Cool. And how about hyperactivity? 
this is probably the classic presentation for ADHD where you have that kid who just is constantly moving, crawling over the chairs on top of tables, moving over everything and just never stops moving, kind of driven by a motor and just really disruptively energetic. So just busy, super busy. Yeah. Yeah. And then what do you mean by impulsivity? So with impulse control, that's also kind of how it sounds. They don't rein in their impulse. They don't think about things before they act or hitting people or pulling somebody's hair or just really just making decisions without really thinking about it and just acting. And so, and it's, that's okay in, in a two-year-old, but when you get to be older, it should kind of rein in their impulses. Yeah. Yeah. I'm thinking about having my hair pulled in first grade every single day by the same kid. Yep. Exactly <laughs> At that, that point, is. I'm like, hmm. okay well is there a difference in presentation between boys and girls yeah and so the boys get noticed a lot earlier because they present with a lot more hyperactivity and impulsivity and the girls are more inattentive so they get their earlier diagnosis because they're causing problems with their disruptions and their hyperactivity so what is stronger between nature and nurture yeah definitely a strong biologic component there's, you know, a lot of things on, on, you know, prematurity and genetics and those kind of things that can be physical components to this. Um, we talk about nurture, but they don't really show any strong links like with media usage. But there is some data showing that screen time before age two can give a child's brain the expectation that life happens much more quickly for sure. entertainment. And it's, it's hard to sit still because they expect things to happen really quickly to entertain them. And the, the number is about 7 to 8% is about where they sit on, on the presentation for ADHD numbers. Got it. And when are they diagnosed? So kids should have symptoms by at least age 12, but most have symptoms by age 5 to 6. And the more severe their ADHD is, the earlier the diagnosis is, and we really, we really shouldn't be treating kids before about age six because kids need time to work through their normal attention, hyperactivity, and impulse behavior um, into their age. Like I mentioned about a two-year-old versus a, a 10-year-old should look a lot different in their ability to rein things in. Absolutely. And what can look like ADHD? Yeah, some comorbid conditions, things that go along with it. Sometimes we'll see depression can look like ADHD. Anxiety, about one-third of kids will have this along with ADHD. I think oppositional defiant kiddos who just are pushing back against the, the system and want to cause problems look like it. And then also some learning disabilities can look like underperformance in school as well. Yeah. Yeah. And will ADHD last into adulthood? So data varies, but up to 50% may go into adulthood, 18 plus with ADHD. But most kids grow out of the impulse control and the hyperactivity over time. So the parts that really look like ADHD get better. So naturally, with their brain maturation, comes better decision-making. But the inattention can be present for longer. And that's the part I think that adults will still present with and and still feel like they have a problem with that even, even later in life. Yeah. Yeah, I've heard of several adults being diagnosed with ADHD later in life. So what comments do you have about adult ADHD? I see that a lot because when people come in with their kids and they go through a checklist and they're like, hey, that's me. And that (laughs) was me and stuff like that. And there really isn't adult onset ADHD, but there's adult ADHD, meaning that the problems were there and finally they're getting help. Yeah. So your friends are recognizing their own behavior 
and their children they get help for themselves. But they met criteria before, but just never got diagnosed and treated. So there's absolutely a, yeah. So about a four to five fold increase in the diagnoses in adults. So now adult prescriptions are greater than childhood prescriptions mm-hmm. over the past few years. That's interesting. And how do we diagnose ADHD? Like I mentioned, you have the the symptoms of inattention, hyperactivity, and impulsivity that present before age 12, and they have to present in more than one setting. So parents see them at at home, and then teachers see them at school. Then there has to be some inhibition in their academic performance, so it's causing problems. And that can be, like I said, either they're not performing well, literally their grades are bad and it's a struggle, or Mm -hmm. they're just such excessive work that has to go into it that parents just like, this is, this can't be right. And there's got to be some help with, with how they're doing. Yeah. And as a side question, is there a difference in ADD and ADHD? So they use the term ADHD to cover all of those components. And then what they'll have is they'll say inattentive predominant or hyperactivity predominant, or they'll say combined type when it incorporates all of those symptoms. So they'll, they'll have the subtype but we still just call it ADHD and then focus on what, what part of it really defines that child's behavior under the ADHD umbrella. Yeah, that's helpful. Thanks. Um, so what is the evaluation process that people go through? Yeah, so really there's three options that I present to people, and they're mostly based on how much data a parent wants to make sure we're making a good diagnosis. And so- yeah. What I try to do most often is have the parents request in writing a school-based behavior evaluation through the school psychologist. And because you have to have, I mean, by definition, you have to have the behavior in two categories. So getting the, the wonderful school psychologists and teachers involved will help give us really good data about what's happening in school, which is one of the most important places for child for a child to be able to focus. And so um, I have them get that evaluation done. They bring the paperwork in with me and I go through it with them. And we figure out if they meet criteria for for ADHD. And then I have some short forms that are not as complete, somewhat superficial, because they really focus on just the things that parents are already coming in for and the questions they have about ADHD. So it's kind of like a self-fulfilling prophecy. I I can say, I know you're going to to score this child really high in these categories because that's what you're coming in for. But it doesn't really look at anything else, like other concerns, like learning disorders, those kind of things. So Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's not as complete. And so the third option, which is the most comprehensive, is going through a neuropsychologist to make sure we have the right diagnosis. This is the most thorough and comprehensive evaluation. And, and these neuropsychologists look at all things about mental health and brain function from learning disorders, ADHD, and depression, autism, everything. So they're the experts in, in brain function. So, um, yeah. Yeah. Why would a parent take one or another option over another? I think... Number one, if you've got school staff that's overworked and they just don't have the bandwidth to help out and and just it's going to be you know too drawn out. And um, so they maybe wouldn't take the the, the more data option and, and use my forms to help out when they come in. And then the neuropsychologist may be out four to five months because they have all kinds of mental health problems and they've been so overworked recently that it may take a long time to get help. So um, it's based on on the kind of parents desire for a thorough evaluation versus a more expedited evaluation. So. Yeah, that makes sense. And then how do we treat ADHD and are there counseling options available? 
Well, if you think about things like depression or anxiety, we can really work on counseling. When you have these intrusive, sad, or anxious thoughts, you can counsel on pushing those thoughts off the stage of your mind. But this isn't true of ADHD. When somebody can't focus, you can't say, hey, when you can't focus, focus. So yeah. it's really difficult. So really, you can't counsel it very well. So medication becomes the mainstay of treatment for ADHD. And what are the medication options? Medications are grouped really into two categories. You have the stimulants and the non-stimulants. And I try to use the analogy that stimulants function like a light switch where they get turned on and they turn off over eight to 12 hours. And those would be the methylphenidate and the amphetamines, the Ritalin and the Adderall. And when these work, they're really obvious. Then the non-stimulants function more like a sunrise where they gradually work over weeks and, and the illumination happens over, you know, over time slowly. But they also continue to work around the clock and not just for a few hours at school. They work all the time. And examples for those are ones like atomoxetine or stratera and then guanfacine, which is intuitive. And their, their action is not as pronounced where you say, oh, yeah, that's working. And so I don't usually use those at first because people are like, I don't know, is it working? You know, it's so slow. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, the challenge is, is that 80 to 90 percent will respond to one of the two common stimulants. So that's my first line. And I, I prefer to use the long-acting stimulants to um, to not have the kids have to take a medication at lunchtime. So they just take it yeah. once in the morning. So there's, there's longer kind of you know extended release versus immediate acting. And so I prefer the extended release versions of those medications. Cool. What are the side effects parents should be aware of? Highest on the list is that stimulants always suppress appetite. So we have mm. to plan for that, especially some kids are already skinny and running around too much and playing lots of sports and they're <laughs> super unhealthy, but the super and healthy, but just, um, they just, yeah, we have to work on that. And then also taking them too late in the day can cause sleep problems mm. and some can become a bit more emotional on the medication. So, yeah. What are the reasons parents are hesitant to treat? I think the usual things, I think most people, well, not most people, but people oftentimes say, I want medicine as a last resort. And that's a problem with this problem because medication what works really well for ADHD. Yeah. People people worry they'll be impacting a developing brain and uh, those kind of things. But what, what I talk about is that the medications really just function to act on your brain's own chemicals, norepinephrine and dopamine to help them do mm -hmm. their job better. So they're not acting directly on the brain. They're acting through what your body already has as a job to help it to focus. I think a third concern is about addiction. Interestingly, you know, with you headed for your attorney career, I had a dad who had a lot of clients where he was a defense attorney. And he felt like, and understandably so from his perspective, that so many of his clients were on Ritalin and Adderall when they were kids. And and so he felt like, is this kind of a gateway drug that you take these drugs and you end up you know, doing harder drugs later in life? Mm -hmm. But we talked about it and said, well, what's the problem with most theft and crimes that are committed? So it's about impulse control and not thinking things through and taking things and stealing things. And so, mm -hmm. so these are, are individuals who had problems with hyperactivity and impulse control and needed help. And then if they weren't getting it later in life, that can lead to things like stealing things. And there's things like theft and teen pregnancy and automobile accidents that happen because things aren't well controlled. So he he thought 
that made so much sense that when you have a problem with impulse control, you commit crimes. And if you don't take care of it, so, but it's not because they had those medications, they went to a life of crime. It's something that they were kind of headed for and mm-hmm. medications were what they needed to help not do those kind of things. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And are there consequences to not treating ADHD? I think the most well-defined ones are, we talked about that self-esteem issue where they just, they go through life thinking I'm a failure, I'm not smart, I'm not good at school, when they totally could be successful and do well. Mm-hmm. And, and then the academic performance issue, so they're not learning and that will hold them back in life because they're not learning material, because they're not present, because they're, they're thinking about other things when teachers are teaching. Right, right. Yeah. Are there non-medication options to treat ADHD? Definitely. And I think that these are things everybody kind of knows, but some lifestyle adjustments. Number one is sleep. Brains always have a lower bar for problems with whatever problem you have when you have a lack of sleep, whether it's headaches or seizures or ADHD or depression. So sleep is super important to get that at least 10 to 12 hours every night based on where you're at with with growing. Um, and then the second thing would be always promoting a healthy diet. And, uh, and, and that's hard. It's, and we'll talk about nutrition and diet later on um and pickiness and those kind of things so it's uh do the best you can on on the diet for your kiddos yeah what about exercise super critical they have the excellent movement and exercise every day it doesn't have to be structured in fact i think structured things are like you know once a week basketball practice in the game so but they, they just need to play hard as kids and be active yeah are there any other tools to use while at school I think modifying their environment. Did anybody in your classes have those kinetic chairs? Where they had bouncy chairs. I don't ever think so. I mean, if they did, I wasn't aware of it. <laughs> yeah, I think by the time Josh was in school, just a couple years after you, he and yeah. several other kids had kinetic chairs, and yeah, really allows for more movement and those kind of things are helpful. Um, there are alternative offerings for ADHD, but mostly helping a child to be organized with tools like homework trackers where they can have their homework go into a folder, take it home, bring it back. And so it helps them get homework turned in, those kind of things. But it doesn't really help their their focus at home and working on the homework at all. Yeah. Any other comments on treatment options? I guess my summary is that we see that, like I said before, is everybody's very impulsive at two, but improves by 20. Just like if you have imaginary friends at two or three, it's totally fine, you know, but if that's happening when you're 20, you're like, oh, we should get some help for that. So, yeah. <laughs> um, so my goal for treatment is to help these kids bridge the gap where they go from not being very focused and hyperactive and impulsive and not being able to do well in school to maturing over many years to then be successful without my help, without medications and really help to shore up their self-esteem. I'm good at school. I'm smart and they can be successful. And so I, I wish there were more options for this besides medication. It's the one thing that I say, this is the mainstay of therapy and there's, there's not a lot of other choices. So mm-hmm. I think it's very important to note for me that I do encourage parents to explore all who are seeking answers, whether it's you know red dye or, or sugars and those kind of things and get help from many sources. And then what I help with is the medication. It's, that's what I'm yeah. trained for. Others have other trainings and other offerings, but, but when they come to me, this is what I, I can help with. And I don't push it in any way, shape or form. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just want them to know, you know, what the, the choices are. I'll, I'll refer them to counselors who do work with kids on ADHD. And if there's any help that can be derived from that, I'm totally cool with that. Cool. 
what can a parent expect once a diagnosis has been made and you've decided together to try a medication? Yeah, once we go through side effects and, and benefits, and we'll try a medication for a month. And then if it works well, we'll continue on that medication, maybe make some dose adjustments. But then if it does not work well, or there are side effects that they're not happy with, then we'll, we'll change the class of medication to the other stimulant. And then one thing I do is something called pharmacogenetic testing, which helps understand which genes you have that determine how well medications will work for your body, which ones will cause more side effects and which ones will not be effective. And so that's always an option that I can um, get done for patients. Really important that I have them complete a medication follow-up form, one for the parent, one for the teachers, talks about improvements, lists of side effects, and then have them return that when they come back in a month. Then our goal is if the medication is helpful and doesn't cause problems, then wonderful. Um, I don't want to change personality. I want them to be you know, smart and funny and keep the same personality. And if it doesn't help or it does cause side effects, then we change the medicine. Then we'll follow up later on and go through that process. Yeah. Yeah. Well, awesome. That wraps it up. Um, we'll be back with another special, I guess, focus. <laughs> another either like mental health concern or um, other concerns that we'll be highlighting. We have to do our poop yeah. episode at some point. So. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think we'll knock out depression and anxiety back to back, and then we'll we'll work on constipation because people are, are anxiously awaiting with bated breath for uh, <laughs> an episode on constipation. Totally, yeah. Well, awesome. Thanks, Dad. We will talk soon. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Sam. Thank you for joining us. We look forward to getting together again next time. Kid Doc is available wherever you find your other favorite podcast. If you enjoyed what we shared with you today, be sure to like us and subscribe to help other listeners like you find us. On our website, we will add supporting materials and other helpful items from this and other podcasts. The opinions expressed in this podcast, while carefully considered, are ultimately the opinions of the presenters and not necessarily of our employers or of any other organizations with which we are affiliated. And remember, the content of this podcast shouldn't be seen as a substitute for seeking actual personal medical care. If this is an emergency, hang up and dial 911. Otherwise, schedule a visit with a caring doctor to help with your concerns.